What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome into the Step Back Podcast on Fan Sided. Thanks for joining us on your favorite podcast app. We are everywhere that you do find your podcast. I'm Ethan Skolnick. You can follow me at Ethan J. Skolnick and at Five Reason Sports. That's the number five Reason Sports. I got Brady Hawk with me. You can follow me at Brady Hawk 305. We also uh, two of the hosts of a podcast called Five on the Floor on the Miami Heat. On this podcast, we go around the NBA. We focus on at least three teams. We got a special guest coming up later in the show. I'll introduce him when he comes on, but you'll be very familiar with, with his voice when you hear it. But we do a few different segments here to bounce around the NBA. We start off with first steps. All right, here's the first of the first steps, and this is the one that everybody is talking about right now. Are the Lakers back? Anthony Davis playing at a very high level. He's not injured, which is obviously a start for him, but his numbers over the past seven or eight games have been absolutely elite. They don't seem to be missing some of the shooting that they missed earlier this season, even though they haven't really added any shooters to the roster. LeBron getting healthy certainly has helped, and obviously chasing milestones, just uh, passing Magic Johnson for, for an assist uh, mark. Brady, let's get to it because we, we spent a lot of time on the Lakers about three weeks ago and it looked doomed. It doesn't look so doomed right now. And now we're starting to hear some of the whispers about trades. Uh, we, we talked to uh, Caitlin Cooper last week about the possibility of the trade with the Pacers. If they don't make a trade, how far can they go? I think a lot of that's on Anthony Davis. And we were talking about last week about the, the teams in that similar grouping, the Lakers, the Warriors, uh, and the Nets. And they all kind of have that one player that can kind of propel them in a certain direction that is kind of uh, the singular piece that can change things. And that's Anthony Davis for the Lakers. And you're seeing what he's able to do uh, 55 and what 17 last night, like, which is just an insane number in general, but the, the, with the ways he can do it, that pick and rolls with LeBron. I said it before when we were talking last time about the Lakers, their shooting is so bad, but even with that, like, how do you guard that pick and roll? Like, there's just no way to really do that with that his passing, with his gravity in a pick and roll, and then Anthony Davis as a roller. Uh, but you're just seeing these different elements uh, from him. And then there's the Russell Westbrook aspect. I'm not even going to talk about LeBron because I think you know what you're getting from him at this stage. It's more about what you're putting around LeBron. And Russell Westbrook 
kind of taking advantage of the bench roll. And I think it was 15 assists in this past game. Like when he's passing like that and able to kind of put pressure on the rim while creating good looks for others, like even if they're not going to shoot well, they have to kind of good generate good looks. And that's what Westbrook's doing for this team. So how far can they go is really on those guys around LeBron. I don't really trust the shooting in general, like I said, but I think if Anthony Davis is healthy and playing at this level, they can get to a certain point in the, in the Western conference. But here's the thing we've talked about Russell Westbrook in such a pejorative light, like, you know, that he's hurting the team and all that. The numbers don't suggest that lately. And yet he's the guy that they're going to move right to get better. Uh, You know, I mean, that's, that's the assumption here, right? Like you would have to move him and at least one, maybe two future first round picks. You're looking at 27 and 29 to get someone like a buddy heel, like a miles Turner. We have always sort of talked about Russ as being addition by subtraction, but would it be subtraction by subtraction at this point? It's tough because it, it depends on what they're getting back. Like it really does because it still feels like there's, I don't want to be blinded by like a good stretch from the Lakers because there's still the aspect of Anthony Davis's health. And there's still the aspect of if Russell Westbrook goes back to that same level where he's not putting that type of pressure on the rim and he's not, you know, he's generating good looks, but the shooters aren't really capitalizing. Then where are you really going with this? So it depends on what you're you're getting back for it. Uh, and I think back to they were showing some stuff the other day about like the Kyle Kuzma 2020 Lakers, where the way they were playing was just like a different style. They either have to take advantage of this style that they are right now and just fully lock in on that, or they make the move and they try to go in a different direction. But right now, it seems like they're going to probably stick with it at least for the time being. All right, let's get to number two here: the Celtics and the Heat at a two-game set up in Boston. The first one, Jason Tatum went absolutely nuts with 49 points. The second one, he wasn't effective at all. It was actually Jalen Brown, and the Heat survived uh, in overtime because Jimmy Butler made the trip. We have discussed this at length on five on the floor, but what do you take from this game for sort of the broader audience? I mean, does Boston have to worry about the Heat? Well, I think in a playoff setting, teams like Boston are worried about the Heat just because if they are healthy, if they do have Jimmy Butler playing, uh, the things they can do when they turn it on defensively, like we were talking about this two-game set where – yeah, there's the aspect of not having Jimmy and then having Jimmy, but there's the aspect of going zone for an entire game against the best shooting team in the league with talented players like Tatum and Brown. And then there's absolutely just switching all over the place like they did last season and kind of making it a game. Like that's kind of the deciding factor here is if they defend at that level. We saw them kind of match buckets in that first game, even without Jimmy. Uh, so it's they have to be worried about them. Like I don't think there's no doubt. Of, there's no doubt about that. But then there's there's still the aspect of we talk about Miami getting Jimmy Butler back. But when Boston gets Robert Williams back, how different does that look? Because we saw that change the dynamic of the series in the Eastern Conference Finals where they kind of threw off Miami's shot profile in general. So are they able to get the same looks that they got in that game? I think we talked about this last week as well. But something we talk about a ton on five on the floor and in, in, with Miami is that if you're getting that version of Bam Adebayo against the Celtics – it changes the aspect of a lot of this. Like they have two guys that they can get to in Tatum and Brown that can absolutely create their own bucket time and time again and close out games. If Bam's able to find his go-to shot, which he has, and I think it was very important against these this, these two games in Boston where he continued to get to that middle of the floor uh, jumper just can, time and time again off the dribble face up, post up, wherever, he was able to get to that. If they put that second guy next to Jimmy Butler, Boston is definitely going to be worried about Bam the Heat. Get to number three here, a little bit of controversy in Atlanta. Uh, the Hawks have played reasonably well this year, but it's been choppy. And we've seen this over the past couple of years. Uh, two years ago, they got off to a slow start. They ended up bringing in Nate McMillan. Uh, last year, they get eliminated by the Heat in the first round. Trey Young got exposed in that first round 
uh, by the Heat as they got they got beaten, I believe, in five games, as I recall. Now you take a look at, at the situation, and it seems like Trey and Nate are not getting along all that well. Uh, beyond getting into the soap opera of this, can you win anything big with Trey Young as your best player? Not when he's playing like this. <laughs> like, they've been good this season. He has not been that type of player. Like, yes, you could look at the numbers and say, yeah, he's averaging 28. But then you look into a little bit more, and you're seeing 30% shooting. You're seeing the fact that he's getting – up 22 shots a game. Uh, like he, he's doing a lot of things where their shots are just not falling. Like I don't even think it's generating. It's just shots aren't falling. And I don't think it's fit either because they obviously added DeJounte Murray and there's been conversations about how would it work offensively with those two in the backcourt. I don't really think it's been a problem. Like they've, they've kind of bounced off each other pretty well, uh, but it's just that the inefficiency. So if he's shooting like this, for long periods of time and then you're heading into the playoffs and you can scheme him out there's a lot of reliance on Dejounte murray at that point it is really tough to do when he looks like this welcome to the playback where brady hawk breaks down two teams from around the nba one east one west one that's doing well we call that the high step and one that's not doing so well we call that the misstep all right, let's get to the next segment here. We talk about this uh, every single week. We do the playback with Brady. We d- deep dive on two teams, one high step, one misstep. We always time this wrong, though, because we decide what we're going to do over the weekend, and then either both teams lose or both teams win, or what happens is we put this out, and then three hours later, we did this with the Bulls and the Celtics a couple of weeks ago, and then we talked about the Bulls struggling and the Celtics playing well, and then, of course, the Bulls blew out the, the Celtics that night or beat the Celtics that night. We're going to try this, though, so we're not going to jinx. We're trying to try not to jinx the first team. We're not trying to prop up the second team just because everything happens opposite of what we say here, but let's get to the high step, and that's the Pelicans, and here's why they're an interesting story to me. Because I thought that if they were really going to take a huge step this year, that Zion had to be incredible. That hasn't really been the case. I mean, uh, you know, he's been a part of it, but they don't seem as reliant on him as they've seemed in the past. And it's guys like Alvarado playing at a high level. Um, How are the Pelicans hanging in this thing in the West? Because it seems like they have gotten things together a little bit. Yeah, I'd say you hitting on the role players is important because they've gotten a lot from those type of guys. Like Alvarado, what do you have, 38 in this past game? Uh, you look at some of the other guys like Trey Murphy that's shooting the ball at an incredible level. Uh, and then you have Herb Jones, who is kind of that all-NBA type defender that can do things uh, at most positions. But you mentioned Zion, and I really do think – I'm going to go in the opposite direction and say I think Zion is so important for what we're seeing from the Pelicans right now in terms of how he's doing it. Uh, he's averaging 24 a game. Uh, but I was looking at these recent games where it's like, there's like certain rules to guarding him where like we talk about certain players that change a defense where like they just shift an entire grouping or whatever, whoever's on the floor. Zion obviously does that just based on who he is. But there's also the aspect is you can't let him get to his left hand because if he's doing that right now, he is going to score on you. Like it just doesn't matter what you do. Uh, they were doing things in a recent game. I think it was against the Spurs where they were putting some smaller defenders on him in the mid post. And it was like, He's just going to overpower you. He's going to get into those hooks. He's going to go into those up and unders, and he's going to just finish around the rim time and time again. And there's the aspect of teams start just throwing the double at him constantly. Like over and over, they're going to send two at him. And then there's the reliance on, obviously, the role players hitting shots. And that's what we saw against the Spurs recently the other night. He had eight assists against the Spurs. It was just because he was just so dominant in that mid to low post area that they had to send two. And then all of a sudden, they're, they're working that kick game, and then guys like, like I said, Trey Murphy shooting the ball at an incredible level helps that. Uh, 
The interesting thing is they fast forward to the Raptors game, which I thought it was a really fun matchup because when we're, we're talking about sending doubles, overpowering smaller guys, those are the Raptors are elite at both of those things. Like they don't have smaller guys and they're going to rotate at a high level. He started doing things differently. He wasn't going to overpower them. He just used more finesse angles, kind of driving baseline, getting by guys, even like the Scotty Barnes and OG and Anobis. Like he finds ways to do all of this stuff. So I just feel like Zion is so important to what they do. The fact that we always talk about Zion and what he can do defensively, they're third in the, in, the, in the league right now defensively, and they're also sixth in offense. Like this is one of the best well-rounded teams that we're seeing right now. And Brandon Ingram hasn't even been playing. <laughs> like they're able to do this right now without the Brandon Ingram aspect, which uh, we talked about a couple episodes ago where we talked about the Blazers, and I talked about how hard it is to guard Damian Lillard and Anthony Simons who has two pull-up threats. Now elevate that even more when you're talking about CJ McCollum and Brandon Ingram. Like the fact that you have that type of interior force in Zion who's constantly drawing two and constantly being worried about on the perimeter. Uh, and then you just fly two guys off curl screens and flares and normal high pick and rolls and all this stuff. Like they're a pretty scary team, especially like you said to start with the role players playing at this level. But if they're going to get to a certain level, they're going to need everybody ultimately. So you, you talk about the fit between Ingram and McCollum being good. What is the fit? Because we saw Ingram go off with Zion out. Okay, this is kind of what happened. Like, he took another step. Can they take a step together? Or is Brandon – because there's been a lot of talk about, well, maybe Brandon Ingram's a guy that they move to get another piece. Or or do you think that Brandon Ingram is a guy who should stay there with Zion long-term? I believe Brandon Ingram should stay there long-term. I feel like the the way that they play matches each other in general. It's funny you brought that up because – Brandon Ingram, Zion was out, and then Brandon, and then CJ McCollum got into the health and safety protocols, and then Brandon Ingram goes out. So we're still seeing this aspect to your point where it's like we're not seeing the full uh, thing together. But I mean, on paper, we would think it would work at a pretty high level. I was just about to look at some of the numbers here between the three of them, but you look right here, it's a 121 offensive rating and a 104 defensive rating when them three are on the floor together. So they've figured it out pretty well this season. Uh, in terms of on both sides of the floor, but I'm not the defensive stuff they can figure out with a lot of the role players because Alvarado is that elite point of attack or Jones at the wing. Like they have role players that can plug that. These three guys have to lead the way offensively. And I have trust actually in them three doing that together on the floor together, just because I trust Brandon Ingram as a spacer as well as an on ball guy. I trust CJ McCollum as a spacer as well as an on ball guy. And even though Zion, we're not saying as a spacer, he provides so much pressure even when he does have the ball in his hands that it can make it work. So I, I'm pretty high on the Pelicans, especially what we're seeing recently. The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. 
Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get three-pound rolls of juicy 80% lean ground beef for $3.49 a pound with a digital coupon. Then get select varieties of flavorful Powerade, Body Armor Super Drink, or Arizona Tea for 77 cents each, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Well, let's look at some of the other teams in the West and do a quick comp here, okay? Because the Grizzlies, without Desmond Bain right now, they were without Morant for a short period of time. The Clippers, it doesn't seem like they can get Kawhi and Paul George in the lineup at the same time. Denver, been a little bit more up and down than I think people anticipated. We've talked about the Lakers a little bit. Can the Pelicans grab a top four seed, do you think? I think so. I was wondering where you're going with that. So I was going to say in that four or five range, like I, I, that's where I kind of see that matchup being. Uh, but it's kind of like I said at the beginning with Anthony Davis, like it's so reliant on health. Like it's so hard to project this because if Zion's healthy, they're a top four team this year. I really do believe that. Uh, and especially with Ingram staying healthy as well. So if they are, I do believe so. And you mentioned some of the teams. I expect the Warriors kind of, they're already climbing up the rankings here. I expect them to try to get in that range as well. I don't really know if the Clippers are going to get to that level. It depends on health as well. Uh, so it's basically, do you believe, you know, the the Grizzlies or the Nuggets stay in that top four as well? That's kind of the question, but I believe so. I think they end up eventually in that four or five playoff matchup. All right, let's get to the other side of this misstep. And they haven't been horrible, but I, I think Knicks fans were expecting more. Um, and, and, and I'll start here. When they got Brunson, and there were almost – no free agents of any note that switched teams this year. Okay. You, you, we talked about it on five on the floor. I think PJ Tucker got the second or lo- third largest contract to switch teams this season. Okay. So Jalen Brons- Brunson's contract was a big deal. He's obviously been missed in Dallas. Dallas fans are frustrated. We talked about that last week uh, with Mark Cuban and kind of the supporting cast. And Brunson was a huge part of that last year around Luca. He's been really good. Like the contract has been worth it. But the team is still middling. Like, I mean, for all of the the promotion of their big three with R.J. Barrett and Julius Randle, it kind of seems like a fraudulent big three to a certain degree. It seems like one of those hyped New York things. We just saw this with – well, we see this with quarterbacks, with right fielders. Everything in New York gets hyped to a certain degree. And then they have a parade outside the Sabaro for winning one playoff game against the Atlanta Hawks. Uh, So uh, why why do you think with Brunson playing so well that they haven't been better? Well, I'd say that it's so reliant on Brunson because he's kind of been the consistent piece within the offense. The fact that uh, he can run different stuff and he's able to score at a high level. I was looking at their 15th in offensive rating, 23rd in defensive rating. Uh, But they're dead last in the league in three-point percentage right now. They're 30th in three-point percentage. So then I started looking into a little bit more. They're also second most in drives at 56 a game. Like the Thunder absolutely blow everybody out of the water just because Shea is just the most elite driver that we see in this league at the guard position. They're at 67. Second is the Knicks at 56. As much as you want to talk about Jalen Brunson and and the Knicks in general being able to drive to the basket, what offense are you creating off those drives as you were 30th in the league in three-point percentage? Like these things go hand in hand. So it's like, where is this offense coming from? Uh, And then you mentioned the big three, the the Knicks big three, quote unquote. Uh, There's just so much that there's Randall who – has his games, has his off games, but it's just so reliant, I think, on the, on the three ball, and he falls in love with that kind of deep sh- shooting in general. Uh, but I feel like so much, and I'll kick it back to you, Ethan, because I just want to get your opinion on it really quickly. R.J. Barrett, like, I feel like this was the, the guy that was supposed to take them to the next level. Like, he was the guy that was supposed to be handed the keys a little bit more, uh, but we see the inefficient shooting. There's just 
Uh, it's just kind of up and down depending on the stretch. So that is that the guy for you? That's the, the difference maker? Well, look, I don't think Julius Randle is a top two guy on an elite team. I, I'll start there. So, I mean, it, the Knicks have been in this position for years where they've had to overpay for guys who aren't the guy that they really wanted. Right. So we thought they were doing that with Brunson this year, but they did it with Randall after the big season. And now they did it with Barrett, giving him that significant extension. And even if you go all the way back to, say, 2010, they did it with Amari Stoudemire because they couldn't get LeBron or Bosch or any of the other ones that they wanted. And then they ended up stuck in a contract situation with Amari where they couldn't protect themselves. He was great the first year, but they couldn't protect themselves when he got hurt um, and they couldn't write the clause into the contract that everybody else would have written into it. It's just where the Knicks are. They don't want, people don't want to play for Dolan. They don't believe in the direction of the franchise, even though uh, I do believe they have better management with Leon Rose and others than they've had before, but you end up paying a money for B B plus players. Like, and if you're doing that also with guys who don't fit and you look at the RJ Barrett situation, is he a developing player who I think is going to be good in this league? Yes. Was he worthy of the extension at the time that they gave it to him? Probably no. I mean, he's had a couple of real breakout scoring games, but with the exception of that, it's been a bit of a slog. Um, I do think, again, he has the tools to be a good defender. Uh, he has the tools to be a versatile player. But he's he's like a Pippin light, 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 light. Like he's not – they don't have an MJ on that team. They don't have the kind of guy to – to elevate them. And Julius Randle is not that either. Again, on a good team, he's your third or fourth guy. We saw what happened in the playoffs when he was in the playoffs and what they did to him. I believe it was Atlanta going back that they, you basically took him, took him completely out of his game. You throw a double at him and there's trouble there, even though he is a pretty good passer. So I just, I, I think, you know, they put a team together that again, on paper looks better than a lot of the other teams that they've had. I'm not surprised about the three point shooting. I'm not surprised that Fournier flopped. I'm not surprised <laughs> Uh, you know, again, that, that some of the bigs that they were projecting to be better or not better, they're the Knicks. And I, I said even before the season when they added Brunson, not even anticipating he would be this good, okay, I said that they look to me like a borderline play-in team. And even in the Eastern Conference that has been a little bit soft beyond the top two, that's pretty much what they are. I, I thought Toronto would be better than them. I thought the Heat would be better than them. I thought Atlanta would be better than them. I thought Cleveland would be better than them. I mean, all of that has been the case, even though, again, the Heat, as we've talked about, have struggled and Atlanta has been up and down. So I think they're in the same position that they've always been in, which is they're waiting for one guy, one star to emerge. I don't think it's R.J. Barrett. And the other problem in New York is that if you don't live up to the expectations that are unreasonably set by the fans and the media – then they start to crush you. And then a lot of guys can't handle that. And I think we're seeing that in New York as well. So I, I guess, I don't know. I mean, that's, I'm kind of, I kind of feel about them like I've always felt about them, but let me ask you this question. Is the coach going to get heat for this? Because I don't know that they're going to do better than Tom Thibodeau as a coach, but I also don't know that he's going to be able to survive the onslaught. Is he going to survive? Like, I don't feel like, I feel like he's already getting the, like, I don't even think it's, like going to happen, but would a coach, like I understand the idea here behind it, but is a coach changing what we're seeing this season? Absolutely not. Like, I don't think a coach comes in and changes the dynamic of what we're seeing on the court. You were talking, we talked a lot about the top three guys, but I think my question is a lot of the time, who's their next guy, like beyond those guys. Like there's some nights where it's manual quickly. Like last night he played really well in the, in the win they got. Is it Mitchell Robinson? Is it Obi Toppin? Cam Reddish has a good night and then he doesn't play. So it's like, not only is there problems with the top three guys, but then it's like, who's the next guy in line? So as much as we talk about the coach, and I know you said before the season, you thought he'd be the first coach fired this season. 
I just don't know how much coaching ends up changing it this season. Doesn't seem to matter in New York most of the time, though. All right, before we get to our guy, Mark Jones, who's going to be joining us, obviously, uh, you know Mark from ESPN, as well as uh, for his college football coverage, his basketball coverage, but also I'm going to give him credit for the resurgence of the Sacramento Kings. Complete credit on this, and and actually I'm going to blame him for the Heat's slow start since he should be down here in Western Florida with us, and he's out there on the West Coast. Uh, I'll just ask you this about the Knicks, uh, Brady. Playing, do they make the plan? Because they're not, they're not going to be a top six seed. So are, do they make the plan? Are they seven through 10 somewhere? I think so. Because uh, it's basically, do you think the Bulls jump them? Do you think the Wizards get there? I think the Wizards end up tailing off at some point. So it's tough. It's just between probably the Bulls and Knicks. Do the Pacers keep up this rank or do they fall out? I think they do, though. I think they can win enough games to find that 10-9 range. Uh, but I just don't see them getting out of the play in after that. I think they finish 11th, but we'll, uh, we'll see. Um, I like taunting Knicks fans because I used to be one of them. And, uh, and I, and I, I lived and died with all this stuff. They are, uh, we talk about the dolphins down here in Miami. There's a lot of similarities between those two organizations kind of living in the seventies, uh, always projecting to be a little better than they are. I think this season, the dolphins have gotten out of that with the, the, the result in San Francisco aside. I don't think that the Knicks are out of that yet. And now it's time for the step around where we bring on an NBA writer or media member from somewhere else in the country to fill us on everything that's going on. And we mix in a little rapid fire too. All right. We're going to bring on Mark Jones for our step around segment. Uh, We're going to step all the way out to the West coast again, Mark. I don't know if I can acknowledge you while you're out there, Uh, but, but here's the thing. I am giving you credit for this because the Sacramento Kings is it's 15 years, correct? 15 16. years since they made the playoffs? 16. You were giving us an extra credit. It's 16, yeah. It's, it, I wish it was 15, but it's 16. It didn't happen it's, last year. It, it, it's 16 years. So now, all of a sudden, they're lighting torches. Like, everything is, is, I mean, it's just it's this amazing experience out there. Even after they traded a guy who may be the most improved player in the entire league, in Tyrese Halliburton, yeah. typically, I, I always said this for years about the Kings. If you just drafted the guy one pick after the Kings drafted, you would have one of the greatest teams of all time. Just go through the exercise over a 15 year period, uh, whether it's Luca or any of the others, I guess it was Trey in that case. But if you just go through, go through all of that and yet they make a trade last year, which was kind of widely panned because Tyrese Halliburton on a, on a, uh, you know, very good contract an emerging player, sort of a face of a franchise type personality. They get Sabonis. But it's also seems to have led to De'Aaron Fox taking another step here. What, what has gone right for them uh, in terms of personnel? And also, how much has Mike Brown had to do with this with the offense that he's running? Yeah, Mike Brown, that's a great point, Ethan. Um, you know, De'Aaron Fox has been unlocked this year. Um, and that goes directly back to Mike Brown. Um, I think, just you mentioned a little in your uh monologue there that um, Tyrese Halliburton sent to the Pacers. I think it's been a win-win for both sides, even though I think it could have worked with Tyrese here, but the immediacy of ending that 16 year playoff drought, I think was the determining factor in that deal. So anyway, De'Aaron Fox is being coached harder this year than he's ever being coached. And that's why this morning waking up here in Sacramento uh, we find the Kings in fifth place in the Western Conference. Uh, say it again. Yeah, don't 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 fall out. <laughs> I've had my espresso. <laughs> it's not my Cuban coffee, but I've had espresso out here. 
and uh, they're in fifth this morning at 13 and nine. Uh, Mike Brown is coaching De'Aaron harder than has ever been coached. It goes back to the culture change that has to be established. And what's happened is first game of the preseason against the Los Angeles Lakers, De'Aaron is guarding Russell Westbrook. Westbrook scores two easy buckets. Mike Brown calls one of those Greg Popovich timeouts like 30 seconds into the game. And he gets into De'Aaron about it. And ever since that moment, he's coached him hard. Everyone else is falling in line. Sabonis falls in line. Um, Harrison Barnes falls in line. Not that he ever needed any persuasion. Um, everyone else falls in line. And that's why De'Aaron Fox right now, in my estimation, is one of the top 10, maybe top five point guards in the NBA when you consider what he's doing at both ends of the floor. You guys remember the Miami game here. Um, Tyler Hero had it going. And in the last three minutes, De'Aaron goes to Mike and says, I got him. I got Tyler Hero. And he shut his water off in the last three minutes. And Sacramento goes on to win that game. He's been really good at both ends of the floor. And when you look at Sacramento offensively and how he fits, uh, Mike has done a great job of taking a lot of those Golden State concepts. Um, it's a lot of read and react. De'Aaron has the ball in his hands a lot less time than he did in previous years, and it's made him more efficient. Uh, they're working off of Sabonis at the elbow a lot. They're running a lot of post splits. Uh, the ball's popping. Sacramento's, uh, I think, this morning, number four in offensive rating. They're top five, been top five for the last week or two uh, amongst leaders in assists as a team. Uh, field goal percentage. It's a very efficient offense, and Mike gets all the credit for that, too. The defensive end took a little while. Uh, I think this morning, Sacramento is right around 16, middle of the pack in defensive rating, which is a huge exponential leap from where they were before. In previous years, it was always 27, 28. And to see that kind of leap happen tells you that the guys are just now starting to catch on at the defensive end. This is a very sustainable model, okay? Barring any cataclysmic injury, this is a sustainable model. I know people are saying, you know, it's early. It's only 21, 22 games in. This is sustainable. they got a two-time All-Star in Sabonis. They have a guy playing at an All-Star level in De'Aaron Fox. I think it works out for them to either be top eight at the very minimum, or maybe even top six, or at the very worst, top 10 in the playing situation. Brady, I want to let you jump in here more with Mark on the offense, because I heard the word post-split, so I know your ears perk up. Uh, <laughs> but, I mean, I, I mean, if you guys could go a little bit more specifically into kind of what, what we're seeing from an offensive perspective, because I don't know that Mike Brown was known as an offensive coach. Like, when, when we think back to the – the Cleveland days with LeBron, obviously the Lakers situation was a fiasco. I don't know that Kobe ever let him coach that team. Uh, there've been other situations he's been put into that were just not good situations for him, but he spent some time with golden state. Like I, and I'm just, I'm just curious. I'll let the two of you guys jump in on this, like go a little bit more into the offense. Cause they are scoring at elite level right now. Yeah, I would, I would say uh, to your point, he was just talking about the warriors kind of playing there. They're first in points per possession off cuts. And I think Sabonis is a big point of that. Like you mentioned the post splits that they're able to run and Sabonis being able to be that type of hub. What have you seen from that aspect? Because there's also the fact that their highest transition frequency, like by a good amount, like they're getting out and running and they're able to do it efficiently. 
but specifically in the half court, like Sabonis being that hub and being able to run that type of offense in the half court, what are you seeing there? Well, what's happening is, you know, it, it, it gets dumped into him and there's great movement off ball. There's tremendous counters. Um, you, you've got, um, you know, you've got weak side exchanges. You've got post splits on the strong side. And if Sabonis doesn't have any options with those initial cuts, he'll kick it weak side and you've got second side action there. And if it goes there, it'll come back a lot of times too. So the ball keeps popping. Um, and Mike has continued to evolve the offense to, you know, in the first, I think, eight games, you know, they, they got off to a slow start, started 0-4, but kept adding little bits and pieces to the offense to now. He kept it very basic. It was, it was push four, push five to begin with. And now they've added little bits and pieces and counters. And you see a little bit of, if you look for it, guys, some, some Spain pick and roll action in there too with Kevin Herter, who's shooting amongst uh, league leaders in three-point shooting. So he keeps tinkering with it. And I think you're seeing how Mike Brown evolved as a coach in his six years at Golden State. He's brought it here. Unfortunately, he couldn't bring Stephen Clay, but it's still working. Conceptually, it's still working. And, you know, Kevin Herter uh, has been top five in three-point shooting. That's really helped. Uh, Malik Monk has been outstanding coming off the bench. Last year, he was 39, almost 40% on his catch-and-shoot threes. He's really been a great playmaker as well. So uh, when, when you look at the stuff that they're running, it's constant movement. And above all, Brady, you talked about it. Mike is always imploring his guys to get it up the floor fast, whether De'Aaron Fox is pushing it up. Uh, you mentioned the fact that yeah, Sacramento, one of the leaders in pace this year. Fox is, I think, still arguably the fastest guy in the NBA. And when he sits down, Davion Mitchell is doing the same thing. So, and also, you know, Sacramento's got the luxury of having Sabonis in a rake and take off the glass and push the break. So the pace never really seems to suffer and it's benefited the Kings. Let's get into uh, the sustainability part that you talked about, because I, I, I think that if I were a Kings fan, the first thing I, I would, I mean, I would deserve a lot of credit for sticking it out for the last two decades, no question. But if I were a Kings fan, I would wonder, right? Like I would wonder, A, you know, can we keep this up? Because there have been some seasons that they've gotten off to some okay starts and it's faded. Uh, and it's also, can we keep the guys around? Now, De'Aaron Fox, they've signed to the extension. Uh, so right. obviously he's going to be there. They've got some guys on rookie contracts. So that's a positive. The Herder contract is friendly. Uh, so it, it looks like that they've put this thing together in a more positive way. Um, and again, you're going all the way back to the Divots, you know, Kukoc, uh, not Kukoc, I'm sorry. What am I saying Kukoc? Uh, <laughs> now I'm forgetting the, the, uh, the, 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 the thank you, Peja. Okay. Kukoc, Peja, you know, obviously the Weber days, uh, Bibby right. days, et cetera, to the time that they actually were able to put together a team that fit, right? And that team probably should have won a championship if, if the officiating had been different in a certain game, right? That Tim Donahue was uh, involved around here. Yep. <laughs> yeah. I was going to say, I won't bring that up too much, but, yeah. but to me, if, if I'm wondering about the sustainability, if I'm a Kings fan, I got to be wondering about it too. Like, can I buy into this, but they've got a new tradition out there and it does seem like they've bought into this, right? Can you explain that for people who don't know? Okay. So Vivek, who has been outstanding to work for and with here in Sacramento, he and uh, John Reinhardt, the head of operations there, uh, talked about coming up with an idea um, when to celebrate victories, basically. And they came up with the idea of after every victory, we are now the beam team. So there's four 
1000 watt purple lasers that I haven't been to outer space, but they say that it shoots out into outer space, you know? So after every victory, if it's at home, they do the post-game interview with the home team player and everyone starts chanting, light the beam, light the beam. And after the post-game interview to the PA house, the guy, the player slaps the button. I don't know if it's a real button. It kind of looks like one though. He slaps the button and the beam gets lit above Golden One Center. It's, so it's really, it's really a cool gimmick and it's got the fans here really excited. And as long as the winds keep coming, the beam keeps getting lit and, you know, got beam team, got all these uh, merch and t-shirt outs now. So it's, it's, it's been something fun. And I figured when the aliens come for us, guys, they're going to come to Golden One Center in Sacramento and say, hey, this team's not bad. <laughs> well, I, I was going to say, people forget, like, you know, when the Kings were good, when they were competitive, that Arco, the old Arco, was the toughest arena to play in in the entire league. I remember going out there with the Heat, so scoring 38 in a game, but I mean, re- literally like, I mean, you had, I mean, you were fighting the crowd. Like that's, yes. I mean, that, that was, that was a barn, but it was a loud barn. Like, I mean, the fans get into it. There is no other pro team in the town. Ta- I mean, of that caliber, like they will buy into this thing. I just wonder how much you think that can carry this group. If they actually feel the support there. The, 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 there have been, you know, we've played about 10, 11 home games already. And each and I can tell you, each and every one of them has felt like a playoff game, even Brady. Okay. Like I remember going back to last year when you know we were out of it as the Kings, and it was a early April, late March game. And during a timeout, I took my headset off and I looked at Katie Christensen, my broadcast partner, my analyst, and I said, Kate, I said, we've won 29 games. What are what are 18,000 people doing here. <laughs> it was a meaningless game against the Bulls. And the fans showed up. They always do. They love this team like nothing I've ever seen. I mean, the fans here are some of the best in the league. You know, my wife and I have an apartment uh, in downtown Sacramento here. And walking up and down L Street and towards the Capitol, going to get breakfast, going to the dry cleaners. It's, hey, Mark, how the Kings doing? Are we going to win tonight? Blah, blah, blah. Um, I, the, it, it's great to see the energy and they've taken it to another level this year. And I really think when the dust settles in that second week of April, that the Kings are going to be in the playoffs. I really do. I think, um, you know, this is something that Mike, Mike Brown has changed the culture. We see it in the attention to detail. You, you see it, how there was an issue. There was an incident um, a couple of games ago where Terrence Davis blew a defensive assignment. Mike called one of those quick timeouts and he took Terrence out on the floor during the game and showed him where he was supposed to be the tag guy in the pick and roll to prevent the short roll from being something worse. So he's he's teaching and coaching in real time and fixing things like like it hasn't been done here in a while. All right, let's go around the NBA here a little bit. You have the Kings as a potential playoff team. So let me throw some other teams at you, and you yeah. say playoff team or not playoff team. You ready? Yeah. Okay. Well, I'm going to do this one first. We're going to do play-in team with you first on this one. The New York Knicks. They're not a playoff team. Play-in team or not play-in team? Play, uh, play-in team. Play-in okay. team. Barely. Barely. Like 10. 10 and ten. a half. Yeah. Ten, ten, <laughs> 10 and a half. All right. Well, you know what? I'm going to change this a little bit. We'll, we'll, we'll go a different direction. Okay. Denver Nuggets. Home court team or not home court team? First round. I'm going to say um, fifth seed, non-home court. 
Memphis Grizzlies or uh, let's go with this. Memphis Grizzlies or Golden State Warriors who finishes higher this season? Um, I'm going to say Golden State Warriors. Too much talent um, and they'll get it together defensive end. Are they ever going to win a road game against somebody that's good? Uh, yeah. You know what? They, they may finish behind Memphis. I think they'll finish ahead of them, but you know, they're too good. We saw what happened in the playoffs last year once they got right. Yeah. I think that I don't, I think they'll eventually start winning on the road. Dallas Mavericks playoff team or playing team, playing team, playing team. I, I, they need to get something different there. Um, Luca's stats feel like empty, empty calories right now. The bad carbs that I had for dinner last night. <laughs> it just feels that way. You know, like I think he's high usage, high ISO, high stats. Who would you put with him though? Who would you put with him? Cause it seemed like Brunson was a good fit with him last year and they didn't retain him. Right. So let me talk about the thing that doesn't, that worked for both sides, the Sacramento Indiana trade. It seems like that, that the defection from Dallas to New York really hasn't helped either team. Like Brunson's been good in New York. They're not winning. And right. Dallas misses Brunson. Yeah, that, that's a great point. Yeah, they need a secondary playmaker in Dallas. They miss Brunson a lot more than they thought. And uh, the Knicks are kind of the Knicks. You know, I'm, I'm not sure that they have the alpha guy. And that's still been the problem for the last three years, you know. Brady, I'll let you jump in with one, and then I'm going to save the best one for last. Go ahead. Well, I don't want to take yours, but I was going to ask him, you know, we see the Nets in the eighth seed right now, 13 and 12. We see the Heat at 11 and 12. Who do you think finishes higher, Nets or Heat? It's kind of scary right now. I get the feeling that the Nets are – a threat. I mean, they're very incendiary and combustible, but they've shown flashes of turning the corner a little bit. Um, I'm not sure. I'd, I'd love it to be different with Miami, but I'm not sure that they're, I haven't seen the signs yet. What's the issue there? Do you think? Cause you, you obviously you follow that team closely. Yeah. I mean, they're virtually the same team without PJ Tucker, who hasn't been real productive with Philadelphia anyway. So but what, yeah. what, what do you think the problem is? I think health and continuity, probably most of all, first and foremost, um, you know, discontinued lineups. But I can't put my finger on it. I, I, I just um, I think when you look at, you know, you've got a lot of I, I'm not sure the roster is right. And, and until Bam Adebayo becomes a 20. It's happening, Mark. Mark, it's happening, though. The last week it's happening. We're seeing it down here. I want to see it on the long term until he becomes that constant, uh, you know, like 22, 11, uh, four assist guy. Um, I don't think Miami's going to top out where they should. You know, I'd love to see it. I think I think he can be and do all the things that Joker does for Denver, but a little in a little bit more dynamic way. I just haven't seen it. And he Bam will do it on the defensive end, too, which is a big component. But uh I just need to see a bigger sample of that. It is trending the right way, though. Give me your top three MVP right now. Uh, Jason Tatum, who's really been much better as a playmaker this year. His decision-making at the rim, spraying it out to shooters, has been much better. I had Boston earlier this year, and he was sublime. Um, He's making his teammates better. Um, I think number two, wow. I You know what? They've got a winning record right now. I think Steph Curry, um, what he's doing statistically is phenomenal. You know, shooting 44% on threes on high volume, 11 threes a game is is pretty outstanding for a guy who's, what, 33 years old. And, you know, I would have discounted his stats a little bit earlier because they weren't winning, but 
They're above 500 now. They're above water. Uh, I'll go him at two. And I think probably, I think Jaw um, in the three hole there. Um, what about the guy in Milwaukee? I know. You know what? I, I put him just outside, but I, 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 I probably go like three, eight, three B for Giannis. I, I see. I'm guilty of what I think some people are with, with Steph. Just Giannis fatigue. He's so outstanding. We get spoiled and we get used to it, right? Um, but if they Isn't that the reason LeBron hasn't won an MVP and so on. I, I said after the last one, he would never win another one because he would never be able to top himself. Uh, and, and we, we've seen that now. Like, it's like they have to like, t- to me, LeBron could have won one this year because there were the expectations and the Lakers were down, right? Like if he had played 75 games and led them to a top three seed, but I don't think Giannis is at that stage, but I think it's getting close where maybe yeah. we've seen, you know, one of the last MVPs for him. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, you know, here's when you talk MVPs, Ethan, I think the league at some point has to consider renaming the award because, you know, Jokic is a fantastic, talented player, but you know, it wasn't that long ago and still is sometimes where if you're sitting down the MVP at the defensive end of the floor, you got to sub him out situationally. You can't be my MVP. I'm sorry. Like, I look at a guy like Jimmy Butler. I look at a guy like Giannis. I look at a guy like, um, you know, the, the, Steph is an improved defender from where he was before. Um, I look at guys that play both ends of the floor. Jason Tatum plays both ends of the floor. To me, defense is a skill. It's like offense. It is a skill. So that has to factor into the MVP balloting and you know, like I said, I, I got nothing against Joker. I think he's fantastic. But, um, you know, if you ask NBA centers, would they rather go against Joker or would they rather go against Giannis? Would they rather go against Embiid or would they rather go against Joker? Right. Defense has to count for something. And that's why when I think about MVP balloting, that ha- that, that factors into my thinking, you know. And that's why I think Jason Tatum right now is kind of beyond reproach because his team – is winning a lot. They got the best record in the NBA and their stats are great and he's doing it at the other end. I think you're the MVP because if you get Sacramento to the playoffs this year, that is a great achievement here. Mike Brown for coach of the year and Mark Brown for Mark, Mark Jones for, for broadcaster of the year. We miss you in Weston. Uh, we'll see you for a Cuban coffee down here yeah. at some point. I will not repeat what you said about the heat to anybody down here in South Florida. Because <laughs> usually you're allowed down here, but I don't I don't know about this one. I know. I know. Right, thank I know. you, Mark. <laughs> I appreciate it. Thanks to Brady. Uh, new episode of The Step Back coming up next week. We thank all the people at Fansided as well. Have a good day. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get three-pound rolls of juicy 80% lean ground beef for $3.49 a pound with a digital coupon. Then get select varieties of flavorful Powerade, Body Armor Super Drink, or Arizona Tea for 77 cents each, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.